Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, welcome to the uh, Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. So let's start off with the new headline, which is we are not allowed to see Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie <laughs> Irving for any extended period of time because Durant comes back from the COVID protocol and on Sunday night, it's announced minor hamstring issue. He's going to miss at least the next two games. We are not allowed to watch these three guys play basketball. You know, you make a joke about it, Evan, but it is kind of annoying that like every time we feel like the Nets are turned a page and got a rhythm going, here comes this crap, you know, like, oh, he was out because of quarantine and they lost some games. He comes back. They look great. The Warrior game. Boom, boom, boom. Let's get excited. We got the Kings. Here we go. Some bad news. It just feels like this season, you've, we've never been able to get a rhythm with anything. And obviously, most importantly, is Durant's health. And that's all that really matters long term. But you're right. It's like every time we finally turn a page, boom. All right. That's not happening. The, Here we go the, again. The good news is, if there is good news, is that so far, and obviously I'm going to knock on wood when I say this, the things that have kept Durant out, Kyrie out, Harden's only missed one game, have all been minor. You know, there hasn't been anything major. So that's the positive. But it's just a frustrating thing because this NBA regular season is really about, you know, as much as we want to finish with the number one seed, you want to win, makes you and I feel good. Most Nets fans feel good just to watch your right. team win. It's about these guys developing chemistry together. And I think they have great chemistry. In the limited times they've been out there, The that old adage wasn't an adage, the cliche that was whipped out after the Harden trade of, oh, there's one basketball. How are they going to make it work? It's right. pretty crap. I mean, they obviously can make it work, but it still just sucks that we can't see these three guys play on any kind of consistent basis. Now, it feels like we're watching two different teams. It's like, here's our complete roster. Here's the guys with Durant. And here's the team when Durant's not there. And it is annoying. And I, it was so enjoyable on Saturday night to watch Durant play. And he wasn't shooting his best. Now, it's a week off. He's probably a little bit rusty. But it was just so nice to see the complete roster, minus DeAndre Jordan, because of personal reasons. But you got to see Durant with Kyrie and Harden, how that big three would work. And the momentum when Harden was dishing, you know, all these amazing passes. And it was just so fun to see. And then you get excited for Monday, the Kings. Yes, it's a West Coast trip, but this is a game they should win with the big three. And then, boom, you get this news and it's like, okay, this is the team we saw versus the Pistons. What kind of effort will we see versus the Kings? Right. That's that's the big question. The big question over the next two days is, are they going to try? You know, is there going to be that consistent effort? Because that's really the thing we learned from this past week. As annoying and as embarrassing as the piston loss was, they come out motivated against the Pacers and just annihilate them. They actually defend it. I mean, we saw a team that in the past has been a matchup problem for them, and you would still think would be a matchup problem with them, for them, with the size they have, with Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis. And granted, the Pacers had a, a little bit of an off night, too. 
but they dominated and, and partly yeah. because they tried the same thing on Saturday night against the Golden State Warriors. So a lot of it is, do they want to try? And here's the other thing as gifted offensively as Kevin Durant is, they miss his defense. True. Very true. And, dude, that's going to be the thing over the next at least two games because it could be more than two games and they should be cautious with Durant's hamstring. I don't think any of us are going to say, yeah, rush him back, rush him back. It's the regular <laughs> right. season. Right. I mean, take your time, but that's what they miss most. And it's not even close because they can score without Kevin Durant. They can score with that backcourt of Kyrie Irving and James Harden. They can't defend on any kind of consistent basis. So even in that Warrior game when they went small, and I think against the Warriors, they can go small. They still had a 6'11 guy out there defending. And that's what they miss most when he doesn't play. It's true. Yeah, yeah it's funny because I had my uh, in-laws uh, that were over at the house over the weekend, and I'm getting my father-in-law into the Nets. He's from Pittsburgh, so like he loves his Pittsburgh sports. It goes without saying, obviously, but he doesn't really have an NBA team. So he's kind of adapted the Nets based on just watching because I'm obsessed and I got my wife into it. So he's kind of has to watch at a default and DeAndre Jordan was out. And so Bruce Brown's playing center. And I'm like, yeah, Bruce Brown's the center, but Kevin Durant's <laughs> the power forward. But Kevin Durant's like five inches taller. And I'm trying to explain why Kevin Durant's the power forward and Bruce Brown's the center. And then I'm getting through this. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm trying to even explain. I think I'm confusing myself. Point I'm trying to make is, yeah, his defense was so impactful there at the four spot just to be in there. And we've seen at times he'll get he'll get beat off the ball by a quicker guard or a quicker forward, but he has a really good job of uh, collapsing and and um, just getting back to the point where he can defend and block shots. And you're right. When he's in there defensively, there is a difference. And it's weird because, you know, I got all excited about Kevin Durant becoming a net. I never thought, Evan, about this idea of what would Kevin Durant's impact be on the defensive side of the ball. Right. And that to me is the big thing. Like, well, yeah, the, the oh, there's only one ball. They won't be. Nah, that's... I was like, no, there's only one ball. They have a six foot six center. That's the issue with this team. But yeah, Durant there makes a big difference defensively. Yeah, that that whole point that was made was usually made by people that don't really know much about basketball. It was just like a throwaway. Oh, three guys, they're ball dominant. It can't work. I mean, it was clear that aspect of the marriage was going to work. I was right. never concerned about right. that. And it's funny, I'm hearing you explain the positions to your father-in-law. You actually sort of got it wrong because Kevin Durant, even with Joe Harris and Bruce Brown in the starting lineup, still considers him the small forward. Okay, so sorry. Is, God. <laughs> so the truth break. is Joe Harris is playing the four and Jeez. Bruce Brown is playing the five. But you know what? We hear so much about positionless basketball. With mm. the Nets, it's really true. I mean, there, yeah. there's no point of saying this is the position that Kevin Durant is playing, or this is the position James Harden's playing. We can get to that too, because Kyrie Irving even said the other day, James Harden's the point guard. Right. And, and, and the truth is, I like that he said that because I think that's a great sign mentality wise that he's really bought in to James Harden being a playmaker, but they're all point guards. I mean, think about it. If you watch this offense, there are some possessions where Kevin Durant's the point guard, you know, it's, it's, it's all encompassing. So when you hear positionless basketball, the Nets really define it. I mean, even with that starting lineup against the Warriors, you can list whoever you want as the five. You can list whoever you want as the four. They switch so often. So you're defending everybody. I mean, if you're Kevin True. Durant, you're defending all five guys on the floor. Same thing with Bruce Brown. 
So there really isn't any set positions. What they miss when Duran isn't there, like you mentioned, is the rim protection and the size. Because we say they go small. They still have a guy who's 6'11 on the floor. When he's not there, you lose that defensive piece. So as long as he's out, and it's probably going to be for more than two games, let's be honest. They're saying at minimum it's two games. Don't expect him for the Laker game, which is a shame because – that was really exciting, a real test to see this Nets team against the Lakers on Thursday night. I would not expect Durant in that game, but that's what they're going to miss for however long he's out, his defense even more so than his gifted offense. Now, that, that, that's super true. Uh, and yeah, Bruce Brown, to play back to your point, he was the center, but he was guarding Steph Curry on defense right, because right. you know he wanted to pester Curry, who obviously when he gets free space, he's lethal from the outside and can shoot. And it, it's just frustrating too, Evan, because this is a team that's 16 and 12 right now. And the 72, 72 game season in my head, I project them honestly, regular season to be like a 46 to 48 win team. And they're going to have a ton of these losses just based on the fact of the injuries, Kevin Durant out and well, the team doesn't try, but, 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 but I know, wait. but I know, I know long-term it doesn't matter. So it's also then getting me frustrated and this is the first time I've ever really ever experienced this in my whole life where I'm like, I, I want to get to the playoffs already. This is, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> well, keep this in mind. And, and I understand that we've all dreamt of, you know, a 65 win season, you know, a 60 win season, the year that we've seen other elite franchises have two things. First of all, it's not a typical 82 game season. So true. Comparing true, true. the win totals of this year, to former teams is always going to be out of whack. You also have to factor in the COVID that guys are missing games. Teams are missing games. There aren't fans in the stands. So there's so many things that are different that from a historical perspective would take away anyway from a 60 and 22 season. But here's the other thing. And this is a good thing. The Eastern conference right now is so bad and so lousy (laughs) that the Brooklyn Nets literally are two and a half games out of the number one seat. Right now, they're sitting in the three seed. They are a game behind Milwaukee for the two seed. So despite the frustration we have about these three guys not playing together, the frustration we have about the lack of size, which they're clearly going to address in the buyout market at some point, despite all that, they could be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, right now, that's not crazy to suggest. The Sixers have lost two in a row. The Bucks have lost a couple of games here and there. They're right there. So... If you can take away the historical perspective, because you're going to have to throw that out anyway, it's really all about seeding then. doesn't matter how many games you win. It's, hey, are you the one seed? Are you the two seed? Because right now, I'm going to sound optimistic. I think there's a really good chance there may be significant fans in the stands for the postseason. If we're starting off at 2,000 in a couple of weeks, which we'll get to, I mean, maybe we're sitting there in June, July, net Sixers, there's 12,000 people there or 10,000 people there. And that's significant. That's a home court advantage. So from the from that perspective, they're right there. They're only two and a half games out of the number one spot. I'm jumping a lot of steps, but I really want to know your answer to this. Who scares you more, Philly, Milwaukee, or Miami? It's a great – and not Milwaukee. So let's just uh, – <laughs> I'll do process of elimination. Okay. And- I'm not basing this on the regular season matchups. The Nets have played the Heat twice. Jimmy Butler didn't play in either one of them. Neither did Tyler Hero. Different team. Uh, The Buck game, 
Sure. You know, it was, it was quite a showdown, but I'm not even basing it on that. And the Philly game was both, both games were out of whack in terms of who was playing. Right. I think it's from a Philly perspective, it's the Embiid aspect. I mean, let's just go right there. It's can anybody on this roster slow down Joel Embiid? Uh, ben Simmons is a tremendous defensive player, so he would worry me a little bit. Miami is feisty, and I just think that the coaching kind of advantage that Miami has would also scare me because mm. the jury's still out on Steve Nash. We know how good Eric Spolster is, and Jimmy Butler's a killer, man. And Bam yeah. out of bio is a matchup nightmare. It's not a knock on the Bucs because, look, Nets, Bucks, we're going to be scared. We'll be scared about any team they face. But when you mention those three teams, you saw about how hard Miami fought them in the two games, yep. even without Jimmy. And we saw what Bam was able to do. I think both of those teams, Philly and Miami, I'd put ahead of Milwaukee. But yes, you're skipping many, many steps because yes. you forgot about our you forgot about our first round matchup with the Knicks. I mean, you just <laughs> totally ignored that. Uh, <laughs> I hate that. That bothered. Oh, I do. But, but, before we get to the Knicks, because I, I do want to get to Biseglia's absolute hatred for the New York oh, Knicks. People think on. I hate the Knicks. Biseglia is on another planet. Couple yeah. of quick things. Do you agree that? Hey, seating wise, they're still in a great spot because the East sucks. Yeah, the seedings, like you said, it's such a strange year with COVID, back-to-backs, home-and-homes that are not home-and-homes are just home-and-home. And it's just such a strange season that this regular season, it's really hard to you know understand what's going to happen in the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I think seeding is irrelevant. The only – it's just about the matchup that occurs, you know, like that – I would say, for example, like Miami is off to such a bad start that the Heat end up as the seven seed. I'd rather be the three than the two. Now, I think Miami's going to get a little rhythm, and I think they're going to jump the standings. But the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't matter at all. And we don't know enough about what's going to happen with home court. Yeah, maybe in May, in June, if there are people in the stands and it does matter that you're going to X arena, that makes a difference. But at this point, it's like, who cares? You're playing in front of an empty gym of a couple hundred people. Just get the matchup that works. Like if the Nets were in the West, a matchup I would like would be the Warriors. That's a team I think the <laughs> wow. Nets would really play yeah. well against. They've yeah. got an elite player. And you, I mean, look at look at the example. Cleveland killed the Nets. The Nets cl- killed Golden State. It just now, now it's been a well, couple teams weeks. It's a different team, but but the matchups make a difference. They really teams do. with teams with size teams that can destroy them in the paint teams that are young teams that are athletic. I mean, if you're looking besides just the easy answer of they've struggled against bad teams, which is fact-based, they've been really good against good teams. Yeah. They've been bad against bad teams. If you're looking for kind of a parallel, the younger athletic teams, the teams with size, the teams that could beat them in the paint, Things like that. But yeah, I mean, beating the Warriors by a million points in two games would certainly give you that kind of confidence. I don't know. I I, I think about three weeks ago, I would have said, and I probably did at some point in one of the podcasts, say, hey, you know what? Home court means less than ever because of the fact that it's empty arenas. I just have a confidence. I, I guess I'm feeling good right now. I'm feeling confident. And it's probably just the announcement that we are having fans in the stands in about a week and a half. That leads me to think, wow, in June, because that's right. really the first round of the playoffs. June, you, we're used to June being the NBA finals, but do the math on it. The regular yeah. season ends in late May. The play-in tournament is in late May. So that right. first round series uh, is basically the first week of June. 
So is it crazy to think that for the first round, for the second round, for the conference finals, I'm not saying a full arena by any stretch, but I am saying eight or 9,000. And you know what? I think eight or 9,000 is going to be a home court advantage. I really Mm -hmm. do because I think the place will get loud. I mean, I think any, and I don't just say this for the Nets, I think any arena where fans are back for the first time in over a year, they're in the postseason. I think that place will Mm -hmm. rock. And so home court to me still exists. And so when I look at their record, which, yeah, 16 and 12 going into Monday night's game doesn't jump out at you. The fact they're only two games out of the number one seed, this team could still very well end up as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And this is maybe my point of view, but I do think that the fans that are there will make it a point to be loud because they have been without cheering and yelling for so long. For example, if I went to a Nets game and got into the crowd, I'd probably be more vocal than I normally would be at a game because it's been a while the crowd's cut in half. I want to make my viewpoint and my 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 stance heard. So I do think, and and I think I, I do believe most fans would feel this way. If you have access into a game and it's the playoffs, and it's been two years of sitting at home eating macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes and lean cuisine dinners, and you've been quarantined for years, you're like, yeah, I'm in a Nets game. I'm gonna make some noise or any NBA team baseball game. I want to get into this. I think fans, when they get back in the arena, are going to be really juiced up. Absolutely. I agree with you. All right, a couple of things about Harden. Uh, the guy's basically putting up 11, 12, 14 assists every Hold single on. game. Mm. Irving made the point the other day. He's the point guard on this roster. I, I think there are multiple point guards on this roster. Like I mentioned, the Nets are kind of a Swiss Army knife where everybody's defending everybody, and on numerous possessions, we'll see different guys running the point. Uh Harden the point guard, and then your thoughts, because I I have a few, on James Harden, the defender so far, as you've seen as a Brooklyn Net. He has been much better defensively in the post against bigger guys than I thought. Like when there's a a switch, for example, and you talked about all these switches that happens, and the power forward will go on him. He's done a decent job in the post defensively. I've been shocked by that. And, you know, I – I've watched a handful of James Harden games, but I'm not like watching it like this. I can't believe how good he has been defensively. And then, and then this past game versus golden state, he was six for 11 from the field had 19 points, but completely dominated the game with his assist totals. This was the most Jason kid like performance I have seen from a net in my life in the last 20 years since Jay kid, it was dominate the game without scoring, but then he's got this ability to hit these ridiculous shots when he needed to. I thought that was the best Nets performance we have seen all year from anybody. Durant, Kyrie, he was, and it wasn't the same kind of defense as kid and the rebounding. He had a different intangible, but, but kid couldn't shoot like that. And his ability to get, I mean, Bruce Brown, Jeff green, uh, there were so many easy layups I was so impressed by by James Harden. That was, to me, I was the most impressive net performance we've seen this season from anybody. Yeah, he put on a clinic. I mean, his court vision in the game against the Warriors was incredible. And you're right. How many easy baskets did he set up for hmm. Bruce Brown and others? And I think DeAndre Jordan will be back for the game on Monday. Hopefully their lobs continue to improve as well. I think his defense, I, I, I maybe it's because the bar has always been set low. 
you know, because we always see the YouTube clips of James Harden not giving a crap. And there's certainly moments where he doesn't care. I mean, that goes for basically everybody on this roster outside of Bruce Brown, where you'll find your moments where the intensity isn't there. But you're right. I mean, Blake Griffin was kind of pushing him around a few nights ago. and He was beating him up in the post. But yeah, James Harden's got that size, even though he's not, you know, very tall. He's got the the gut, if you will that yeah. he uses to help him when there's a big kind of bouncing off the post against him. He also goes for steals all the time, by the yes. way. The and strips. Yeah. And when they work, it's fantastic because it leads to an easy bucket, but sometimes it leads to an easy bucket the other way because he's going for those strips. He's been, he's been very, very good. And I've mentioned this to you before. It, it kind of pisses me off when I hear Nets defensive rating prior to James Harden and post James Harden. It's not about James Harden. It's about Jared True. Allen not being there. Yes. And even to a degree, Karis LeVert and Torian Prince, like they are not as good of a defensive team as they were prior to the trade. And that's not because James Harden is just some kind of horrific defender. It's because they lost their size. I mean, they replaced Jared Allen's minutes with more minutes from DeAndre Jordan or more minutes from Jeff Green at the five or some minutes from Pell here and there. And early on, Reggie Perry. So that kind of ticks me off when I hear it. But here's the truth. And you see it in the, the Warrior game and the Pacer game. When they are motivated, they can defend. Yeah. Not like an elite level defense, not suggesting yeah. that, but they can defend on a somewhat competent level when the effort is there. And we could all be pissed off that the effort isn't there every single night. But what's really going to matter is if the effort's there when it counts. And so far during these nationally televised games or games against elite opponents, there's no denying it. The effort's been there, and that's why I, they've won basically all of them. I know it's so funny because if you're like a casual fan that's just watching the national game, you're like, oh, the Nets are on. I want to see what this looks like. They look like world beaters. They don't lose versus these great teams. But like you and I and then all the other Net fans that are watching each each second, each minute, each quarter of these games, we saw the Detroit loss. We saw both Washington losses. We have seen some abysmal performances, and it's just so strange to see a team that's so Jekyll and Hyde with their energy and their performance, which gets back to like, what kind of energy are we going to see with Kevin Durant out? Is it going to be, oh, KD's out, we're in Sacramento, eh, let's just come out and play? Or are we going to see like, hey, hey guys, let's continue this energy, let's play well, we, don't, we, we know we don't have Durant, let's see if we can go out and give them? And I, I'd like to say I know an answer to that, and I think I mentioned this last week when we did the podcast, this season is going to have so many highs and lows it's like, what net team are we going to get to see? And I just don't, I don't think there's a way to answer that question because I usually have like a sense and a feel and a pulse for a team, but this one is just like high, low, high, low, high, low. Yeah. I can't figure out what net group we'll get if we will get that high energy level and at least, you know, give it an effort versus Sacramento. We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. They've got four games left on this trip, a back-to-back -back with the Kings and Suns. So you could look at it and say Durant would have missed one of those games anyway True, if true. they were resting him on a back-to-back. -back. And then Thursday's the Laker game. So it, I, I lean towards Durant's not going to play for that game because they're saying at minimum he's going to miss two and then they're going to reevaluate him. So they reevaluate him on Wednesday. I'm not sure he's going to be cleared for Thursday, but then they have a few days off before they wrap up the trip also in LA against the Clippers. Mm. So I think there's a better chance Durant maybe plays that Sunday night game. If I had to guess, I'll give you a guess right now and we'll okay. reconvene next week and see how accurate I am. I think they're going to beat Sacramento. I think they're going to lose to Phoenix. 
I think Durant doesn't play the Laker game, but they play it hard and they're in it and they lose late. So it'll be one of those games where I, I wouldn't call it a moral victory. We don't have moral victories with this team, especially at 1 a.m. with a West Coast game. Right. But I'm going to predict like Kyrie and Harden give you these A-plus performances. LeBron pulls it out late. Lakers win. And then Sunday against the Clip, they'll probably lose that game too. So they're going to win, then lose their next three, and they're going to come home with a record of 17 and 15. And uh, you're going to feel like crap. And I'm going to feel like crap. That's my prediction. I, I, I'm going to say the Nets beat Phoenix. I think James Harden is extremely motivated versus Chris Paul and wants to put on a ah, show. Okay. So I, I think they I think they get Kings wins and uh, Phoenix wins and then lose the L.A. duo. Fair enough. I, I give you two factoids about the Nets. One is depressing. One is impressive. All right. <laughs> okay, okay. So it evens itself out. One of them I already yeah. told you, so you don't have to act surprised because I already told it to you. And that's the fact that Russell Westbrook had mm. no victories this season in the games he played against teams other than the Brooklyn Nets until they beat the Celtics on Sunday. He was two and 14 when he suited up for the Wizards and both of those wins came against the freaking Brooklyn Nets. So that's the depressing Heart, one. Heartbreakers, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Durant and Irving both missed, I think, game-winning shots yep. in the first one, and then obviously the collapse in yeah. the second one. James Harden didn't play in the second game. Now, we mentioned the East sucks, right, yeah. which I don't care about. I never care if the Eastern Conference is bad or the National League is bad or the AFC is bad. As long as my team makes the playoffs, that's all that matters because once right. you get to the playoffs – you throw all that stuff out the window. I don't care if there's a million great teams in the West. The only Western Conference team you've got to beat is one of them in the NBA Finals. So I never take offense to the league or conference I'm in sucking because if anything, it's a good thing. Right. Now, how many Eastern Conference teams have winning records against the Western Conference? Hmm. It's got to be low. I'll, I'll Three. You say three. Yes. The answer is one. There is only one NBA Eastern Conference team with a winning record against the Western Conference, and it's the Brooklyn Nets. And their wins and losses are so freaking typical of who they are. So Mm. the Nets are six and three against the West, which is a great record, especially considering every Eastern Conference team, including the Sixers, who are like 18 and nine. It's almost impossible to not have a winning record against the West when you're right. 18 and nine. Here are who they're, <laughs> this will make you laugh. Okay. The three losses that they have, two of them to the Memphis Grizzlies. I, yes. And one to the Oklahoma City Thunder at home. Yeah. Both of those six, teams are likely to not make the playoffs. The six wins. The six wins. Let's do it. The Thunder. Okay. So they evened it out with the Thunder. Let's get them yeah. out of the way. Jazz Nuggets. I remember that. Jazz, number one seed in the West. Nuggets, playoff team. Clippers. Two, two against the Warriors and the L.A. Clippers. Jeez. <laughs> Other than the Lakers, who, again, they'll get their crack at Thursday night. They've beaten, like, every good Western Conference team. Weird and season. they've got the three losses to the Grizzlies and the Thunder. Oh, that's just a weird season. This has been, like I said, the highs and the highs and the lows and the lows. Just no no feel. When, it feel, when, it, when it's on, it's like... When it's on, I look at this team and go, they're gonna win a championship. When it's off, I go, they're gonna lose in the they're gonna lose in the second round. Yeah, but wait, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me and I'm a pessimistic guy at times, 
But what game were you watching in the last two and a half weeks where that thought popped into your head? Was it the Detroit game? Like, did you sit there as they got, and really they lost that game in the first quarter. Let's be perfectly honest. They got off to such a brutal start. It felt like they were playing catch up the rest of the game. But is that where you thought it while they were losing to the Pistons? No, because Durant was out, but there's been a feel. It's just a feel. It was maybe the Cavs. I think it was the Cavs. The that Cavs was the scared fir- me. Bro, that was the first games of the big three. That's literally the first time all three suited up together. And my point is, as negative as I can be sometimes, and I'm, not, I'm certainly not sitting here and telling you the Nets are going to win the NBA title. I've I've never made that statement because I can't imagine my own team winning a championship, but even in the losses, even in the, the the times in which they have struggled defensively or lack of intensity, I've been annoyed like you. I've been frustrated like you. But never does it kind of creep into my mind that I'm going to see this in June because it's never against teams I'm going to see in June. You know what I mean? Like, I think if Thursday night, and look, the Lakers are a team you're looking at in the NBA Finals, not exactly the second round of the playoffs. And I think we'd all be thrilled if we're sitting there breaking down an NBA Finals. But if the Nets were fully intact and would just get run off the court by the size of AD and the power of LeBron, then, yeah, I could see that thought creeping into your head. Like, oh, my God, how the hell are we going to beat this team four out of seven times? Right. But every team that's a threat, they've either beaten or in the Sixers case last week was a game in which they never had a shot to begin with. I'm just scared. I just get scared. And I, you know, I, you, you lay out at some good points. You, you're fair on that. Everybody they've played against that has been solid. They have been there. They have competed, but, but I guess this is the moment actually it's, when the Nets have no offensive flow and James Harden shooting threes and misses, maybe it was Detroit game and it definitely was the Philly game. That's the moment I get scared, right? It's like that flow disappears. It's a, it's it's weird. I don't think, Evan, it's the defense. I think it's when the offense escapes with those moments I got scared. And yeah, you're right. I'm pessimistic. I I understand there's been great moments with the three of them together, but it's hard to accept that they're going to be great. And I want my best. I'm trying so hard. Like, yes, they can do this. Yes. They can figure this out. But when it's bad, those bad, those bad thoughts creep in your head and it's hard to get them out. Well, you'll you'll have Knicks and six. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. Uh, Well, let me, let me get to the Knicks because you make me laugh. The the New York Knicks are having a very good season. I think yeah. we'd all admit that. Tom Thibodeau has done a great job in his first year. Julius Randle's played like an all-star. Emmanuel yeah. Quickly's been a top three or top four rookie this year. And they're hanging in there. I mean, they're 13 and 15. They've won back-to-back games. They've been great. I have not been annoyed to any degree by Nick wins. And to put it in perspective, when the Nets moved to Brooklyn their first year there, that was the year they won 48 games, if I'm not mistaken. But the Knicks won 54 games. And I had a very difficult time enjoying that season, a season of really good success right? because the Knicks were better and it drove me nuts. I know the Knicks are having a good year. It's not driving me nuts at all. And I'm jealous. It, it, but, but, bro, it doesn't mean I, I would, would rather them lose every game. I love yeah. when the Nick fan is miserable. I love when they're self-loathing. They do pump themselves up way too much, which I understand. You get excited. They've been losers for a long time. 
but they're so not a threat. They are so that innocent little puppy dog on the corner that even on Saturday night, as the Nets are destroying the Warriors, but the Knicks are destroying the Rockets, right. I couldn't get annoyed. I was 98% happy. So for those listening, Biseglia gets annoyed. What the hell's yeah. wrong with you? I don't know. And I was actually had a conversation with my dad today. We were trying to figure out why I disliked the Knicks so much because, okay, I'm a Mets fan. I'm a Giants fan. The Yankees are annoying, but I don't get that. Like if the Yankees won a World Series, I'd be like, there they go again. If the Jets were good, I'd be like, good for them. Like that's nice. It's been a while. But with the Knicks, there is something so irritating about it. And I'm trying my best to separate the two and not get upset if they win. But I do root for them to lose. And I like it when they are punished and they don't have good (laughs) games. And I will admit, I think the Knicks are playing well. They're well coached. They're clearly improved and they're making strides. But I just, I just, in my head, I, I just play this on replay. You know, the Nets lose in the second round and the Nick fan comes out and goes, you mortgaged all that. And you and you went one more round than our team. Like, I just keep replaying that in my head. And honestly, Evan, to get like really deep, there could be some like deep stuff as a kid being a Nets fan, not rooting for the Knicks. There was kids in high school. It could be very, this could be a topic, Evan, that is so deep that it needs like massive amounts of therapy to figure out why the Knicks. You know, what's crazy, what's crazy is we're similar. I feel you. I completely understand you. But this year, it doesn't affect me the way it has in the past because the Nets are so clearly better. You know, the Knicks are a less talented version and a little bit unimpressive version of what we did in 2019, right? The cute little upstart Brooklyn Nets. And it obviously led to big things because during the offseason, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wanted to come here. That's what they are. And that's great for them. And if the Nets sucked, it would drive me nuts too. But the Nets have such bigger fish to fry that how you're sitting there on a Saturday night when the Nets are on ABC destroying the Warriors. You remember Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors destroying them. And you're annoyed because, oh, my God, Emmanuel quickly hasn't missed the shot. And they're beating up the lousy Rockets who basically gave up in the middle of the game or late third quarter. Ha! That is what yeah, I don't understand. Yeah. So I have some similar emotions as you, but it's certainly not affecting me this year. I think because it's almost the opposite. Because this year the expectations are winning a championship, at the very least getting to the finals, because the expectations are so much higher – it's even more of a pressure to do well. So I like seeing the Knicks lose because I'm feeling, and this is insane because, but this is fans. I I feel so much pressure for this Nets team to be good that if the Knicks lose, it at least releases some of the pressure on that side because I'm just so worried about the Nets being an NBA finals team. And I know it's crazy because it's like, well, why don't you feel that way for the Celtics? Why don't you feel that way for, I don't know, another rival if you want to make one up. Although I can't really think of anything. Maybe Philly. There's just something <laughs> about the Knicks that get on my nerves. And, I, and I've said this before, like, I think there's a disrespect from the Knicks fan to the Net fan that they know so much more basketball than a Net fan. And that truly at its core bothers me. And it's, it's, it, you're right, Evan. I have to get over it. I have to realize this is the team that if the Nets are going to win a title, it's this year and next year. Like, this is the window. Let's do it. Let's figure it out. But I just, and I, I just, I just don't want to see him do well. I, I, I need to figure it out in my head. Okay. You're right. 
you're right. You're right. I know you're right. And it's going to be about what the Nets do. But at the same time, I just love to see when they fail. But it's funny is those net teams when I was uh, you're talking about like the team that won 48 game, the Knicks team won 54. Right. I lived in Virginia at the time. And that year I was kind of like, I didn't get as annoyed with the Knicks. And I think I'm now more wrapped around a lot of Knicks fans that are in my universe. And I think that has something to do with it as well. All right. By the way, I don't want to shortchange the Nets that year. They won 49 games that year. The Knicks won 54 games. The mm. Nets were the four seed. The Knicks were the two seed. So, mm. but, but that, that's different because they were better. And I think that was the frustrating part. In this case, we know the Nets are better. But you know what? Sure. We may have to do an entire podcast about this. I mean, there may have to be an episode where we just examine our dislike and varying hatreds for the New York Knicks. Can I give you just one? This is the last thing I'll say about this. But this, yes. is, a, this, is, this is ingrained in my head. And it's my favorite net Nick moment of all time. Yeah, was Nets 0102. They came out of nowhere and were good. And the Knicks came to the Meadowlands to play the Nets or Continental, whatever. And I was at the game and it was always Nick fans there, like laced with Nick fans making noise. John Starks jerseys, Allen Houston jerseys, you know, whatever. And then this Nets team came out of nowhere and was good. And I'll never forget kid threw an off the backboard pass to Kenyon who dunked it all over the Knicks. And I'll never forget Jeff Van Gundy. He had his like, um, cause I was at, at the game. He had his like play sheet and he just took the play sheet and he ripped it in half and threw it on the ground. And I was like, <laughs> they don't know how to defend us. And that was, uh, maybe that's part of it. I went to all these net games and Nick fans would come into the arena. Just get I annoyed get it. by it. It's I get bro. You don't, it, the, the crazy part is I get it. I've experienced it. I am yeah. you. I'm just not you in the moment. That's all. Yeah. I'm just not you right now. Even though, and I'm going to warn you, with the schedule the Knicks have coming up and the schedule the Nets have coming up, I know, I know what you're. It may you know. tighten up. I mean, uh, you may get, <laughs> you may get tweets from <laughs> Nick fans saying, "Hey, you're only a game and a half better than us," you know? Right? Hey, we're a game behind you. God forbid they pass us. So, oh God, I just wanted to warn you. Now, one last thing, Spencer Dinwiddie. I bring him up because he's been posting videos showing his rehab. He made a comment recently. Stranger things have happened in regards to his comeback uh, this year. I mean, Steve Nash was even asked about. It. He tried to kind of lower expectations, lower the temperature a little bit. Are you thinking about a Spencer Dinwiddie return? Is that thought popped into your head yet at all? I know Spencer Dinwiddie based on his personality with social media on the court. He's very confident. He's very cocky in a good way. That's what's made him achieve so much success in the NBA and, 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 and what he's done since he's gone to the Nets. He's always going to be in this positive vibe. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is him just kind of like in a good place on social media, pumping his fist, being in a, in a positive mindset. I don't think he'll be there because there's too much on the line for him not to rush back. I'd love to have Spencer. I'd love to have his on the ball defense on the perimeter. I'd love to have his clutch shooting and he's Spencer Dinwiddie. The depth he would add to this team would be fantastic. He's basically like if Landry Shamit got a lot better, it's Spencer Dinwiddie. <laughs> I'd love to see him out there, but no, I think this is in the moment feeling good, but ultimately no, we don't see him. Yeah. It, here's the interesting element to all of this. So Spencer Dinwiddie is a trade chip. He legitimately is. There are teams that would want to trade for Spencer Dinwiddie because they would get his bird rights upon him entering free agency. So you can see why Spencer Dinwiddie has value, why teams would want to trade for him. Right. 
and he's got a big enough cap figure where if you're the Nets, you could trade him and get something back. The Nets don't really have any other trade chips because if somebody's interested in Nicholas Claxton, great, he doesn't make a lot of money. So Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to flip him and get something back. And obviously the Nets can't trade any first round picks. So their ability to make a trade is all about Spencer Dinwiddie, assuming they didn't trade, you know, Joe Harris or Kyrie Irving or anything like that. What I wonder about is if you have, and this is where it gets, I think, a little bit tricky because, yeah, you're trying to win an NBA title right now because someone called up the show on Saturday and said, would you trade Spencer Dinwiddie? And I said, well, for who? That's, I mean, that's the million dollar question. What am I getting back? Because once I trade him, he's gone. Like he's not coming back as a free agent in a year. Ideally, I'd like to keep him as a free agent. If Joseph Sy is going to be willing to pay the luxury tax and he's going to have to pay a big luxury tax, I'd freaking re-sign Spencer Dinwiddie. Why the hell not? So if that's their plan, if their plan is, yeah, we're going to re-sign him, we're going to pay a huge luxury tax, then it would take an awful lot for me to consider trading him. If they're going to let him go anyway, if the Nets' attitude is, look, we are paying the luxury tax, but it's not worth the luxury tax bill with giving Dinwiddie $22 million a year, then you should trade him. You see what I'm saying? Like, if your plan is not to keep him, well, then, yeah, you should probably use him as a trade chip. So I don't know what Joseph Sy is thinking, and really it's up to him because this isn't a Sean Marks call in that I'm sure Sean Marks would say, yeah, pay the luxury tax bill. No sweat off my back. But that really is an ownership decision. So I hope that that conversations happen because based on if Sy is willing to pay, that would really impact my feel, and I'm sure your feel on if they should trade him or not. I can't see them re-signing Dimwitty. I just, I just can't see it based on the logjam of where he is. Like I said too, you know, he's a better version of Shamit and everything he can do, and he would provide to be so much value for this team if he could come back. But for him to play 18 to 20 minutes a game and to make the amount of money that's going to be paid financially seems like it's just not going to be in the cards. Now, I don't know how high they're willing to go above the luxury tax, but at one point you're like, all right, we're going to pay this guy $70 million over X amount of years to play 20 minutes a game. It just seems ridiculous. I can't imagine, like Joe Harris was different. For he, he fits the need of what they need in the roster. And, and, and at the time, it was a very different roster they were putting together, but it still, still fits the need of what they need. I can't imagine the Nets going to give Spencer Dimwitty the kind of contract he would demand on a team outside of the Nets that could use him. Because Dimwitty on the Nets is clearly off the bench. I'd be shocked if they were going to go above the luxury tax to pay Then him. trade him. When then, then the, yeah, then I'm with you. You made a good, I, I'm with you. I, I like what you said. Then deal him if you can. Um, because I don't think he's coming back. Deal him. It, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's the storm of how this team came together. Dinwiddie now, he's gonna, he could go, I mean, for example, he could go to the Knicks and now maybe with quickly improving that changes things, but he could go to a team, be the starting point. He averaged 20 points per game. No, I get that last year. He I, can it, score. Look, it's, it's going to be up to him. I mean, ultimately we say it, it's partially up to side because if he's not willing to pay the tax and I understand your point, 
is he why would you be willing to pay it even though it makes the nets better you're going to be paying a, a tax bill because it's not just 20 million dollars a year it's on top of what that tax bill turns into is that really worth it? it's also going to be up to spencer dinwiddie because you're right he may say i want to be a starting point guard i want to play 35 minutes a night i don't want to be this kind of bit piece even though i think he's more than a bit piece but look if they're not going to resign him here's it's simple then i'm shopping him of course i'm shopping him i'm trying to win an yeah. nba championship right now i don't know what the market is as far as a sign and trade is concerned i'm not even right. positive about the rules regarding that if that would be their plan so i would then say yeah trade him i, I don't know what you're getting back i don't think uh a Dinwiddie and a no and a second round picks getting you John Collins or anything. I mean, that'd be great, but oh, that's not happening. God, they just made me smile. <laughs> that's Collins. not that's not going to be enough. Obviously, I mean, let's no, not that, get crazy. That'd be a nice fit, but we'll see. I, that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on with Dinwiddie. Hmm. Uh, I don't think he's going to return either, but I think what they do with him at the trade deadline will hopefully tell us a story. Because. Yeah. If you're not going to keep him, then I would absolutely be more aggressive in shopping him. I would look, I, I guess where I disagree with you is I would keep him because if I'm trying to win an NBA title and I'm a billionaire, which I'm not, but Joseph Sai is, I look at things simplistic and say, am I better if Dinwiddie's still on the team? Yes, I am. So sure, I'll pay an extra $70 million in tax to keep him around. I'm not sure Joseph Sai's going to think that way. But that's how I would think if I had just billions and billions of dollars and I wanted my team to win. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to predict. I mean, I don't have that kind of money, but I would say on a simpler, you still have budgets. You still have, you know, things you want to spend. And I, the Joe Harris was a very good sign because that would have freaked us both out if he wasn't yeah. there. So we'll, we'll see what he does with Dinwiddie and you know, only, only time will tell. And if he's dealt and what happens and, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a very weird trade deadline and a very weird buyout season. Also, too, we don't even know what this the schedule is in a month. So there's I know a I know oh. <laughs> that's the other weird part. We don't even know what the schedule looks like. All right. Uh, one last thing. Prediction. When does Kevin Durant play his next game? West uh, back east. Once the West Coast. So you think he's going to miss the rest of the trip? He's going to miss the next four games and return at home against the Sacramento Kings, which is also the day they're welcoming fans back into the arena. Yes, I think he comes back when the trip is over. Yeah. Just to be on the safe side. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm with you on that. I think I'm going to agree. February 23rd, the return to Barkley Center will also be the return of Kevin Durant. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.